we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague, Ed Kless. Hey, Ed, how's it going? Good, Ron. How are you? Very good, since uh, we spent some time in Cleveland this week. Go Cleveland, Cleveland Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> the home of Drew Carey. That's right. That's right. And we got a chance to to sit down and talk to Reginald Lee, which is going to be next week's episode. So that's, that's exciting. Yeah. It's always great. Always great to talk to Reginald. And I still didn't get to see him talk because our, our sessions are the exact same time, but uh, they're hoping they can move that uh, for our last show in Columbus, which is next week. Oh, good. That that would be nice for you to get, but, but, and you were both kind enough to come to my session at the end of the day, which I appreciated. Oh, yeah. No, that was great. You did from uh, compliance to consulting. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah, good stuff. Always like to drop Peter Block on people. Yeah, (laughs) that's always (laughs) exciting. Well, today, Ed, we're having a discussion with a millennial. and (laughs) Like we care. One Uh, of those people, Ron? Yeah, yeah. We'll have to talk to him about the... uh, if he plays the uh, Monopoly Millennial Edition. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let, let me introduce him, and then we'll get him in here. Uh, Tom Hall, he's a 21-year-old economics and politics student at the University of Bristol in the UK. And over the summer, he was involved in producing a report looking at the use of hourly billing and whether it's time you know, to leave it in the past his lack of experience has proved something of an advantage because he had no pre-existing thoughts or assumptions about this particular business model. And we've talked about this before, Ed, how rookies, you know, can come to something with fresh eyes, fresh perspective. They don't have all the orthodoxies of the profession. And, and that's usually where you get massive leaps of innovation. Um, Tom's a keen sports player. He's played soccer, rugby, and tennis, amongst others. And this competitive nature spills over into his working life. He always strives to be the best he can be. Tom Hall, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. Good evening, gentlemen. I know it's evening where you're there, over there. Oh, sorry. Good morning. Good morning. You. Good morning, America. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. Thanks for joining us, Tom. We know it's a little bit late over there, but uh, this is going to be the fastest hour of your life. But yeah. <laughs> you sent Ed and I an email um, a while back and yeah. told us about how you were involved in this role um, to research and produce a report on the billable hour uh, and whether or not change was advised. So tell us, how, how, does a, how does an econ politics student get involved in studying the billable hour in the timesheet? Well, I... Through my university, they offer internships, um, so summer internships, which are paid for by the university, um, but then the businesses, the local businesses, get the benefit, so they get free work, basically. Um, 
whilst I get paid and the university gets the claim of doing stuff for the local uh, local town or local city. Um, and I saw this on um, advertised and thought I needed some cash, I needed something to do, and it interested me. So I applied, um, and then the more I got, the further through I got the uh, through to the uh, interview stages, the more and more invested I got into it. And luckily enough, I got offered the job. Um, so I did that for uh, two and a half months over uh, summer, so from July till the end of September. Um, and yeah, the, and then so my lead on it, uh, Dr. Harry Pitts, he's done a lot of work on. Uh, pricing and value um, and that's mainly in uh, the creative uh, economy so architects and manufacturers um, and then through conversations he had at meetings he got me in with this accountancy firm in the UK um, and yeah from there it just developed and turned into something great. So when they advertised for interns they they didn't have this assignment in mind it was something that you kind of came after you joined? It wasn't a specific assignment. It was more looking at value and pricing. Um, and then we just sort of, that ability to go where the research took us, um, which was great. It, it didn't inhibit us in any way. So um, we were able to just sort of go with the flow. And the more we developed, the clearer it became. Um, almost like a dissertation or a, uh, a final year. I'm not sure if you have them in the US, but a final year. Uh, project where you just sort of eventually work out the question you're actually trying to answer. Sure. And, and you sent us the outline kind of, of the report Yeah, and you start, you know, the background, the aims, aims and objectives and the bill of all and the timesheet. And you, 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 you know, the second point dives right into value and pricing. You, yeah. you even talk about the labor and subjective theory of value. I have to ask you, how how you you finished the report now? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Have you gotten any feedback from anybody who's read it? Uh, well, uh, people at the firm have read it, and we're due to have a meeting at some point to do, to go through it. Um, it's positive, um, but there's been no um, specific feedback yet. We are just waiting until we can all get a date free to go through the report in depth um, with all those who worked on it and those at the firm. Um, so it's quite difficult, obviously, in a very busy time to get everyone together at one point. Um, so, yeah, there's been no specific feedback other than this is good. Let's talk. Um, Excellent. Because, you know, Ed and I both have delivered the the labor theory and the subjective theory of value in yeah. Europe. And it's it's quite popular. I mean, they uh, the Europeans, I think, more than the Americans appreciate theory. Yeah. Uh, more so than, than we do. We're, we're all about, you know, how to over here and give us the, you know, give us the checklist. Uh, but when we talk about it over there, it really resonates well. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what, what the specific feedback on that section was. Mm. Well, I think it was important just to frame the frame, everything about value by giving the sort of basis um, core assumptions to work from, because that's where you move from. Um, and the subjective theory of value is, that's where the entire thing about value pricing comes from and the um, counterintuitive nat nature of pricing via time. And you, where were you introduced to the labor theory and the subjective theory? Was that from your uh, professor at, at college? Yeah, from my professor who uh, his work um, touched upon it and went into it. He, so he's um, done extensive work on uh, theories of value and 
um, especially work from Marx and capitalism. Um, so he's more that side of things, the more uh, businessy, uh, theory based. Um, and so he introduced me to it. And then from the books he uh, bought for me and recommended to me, I then just steadily gained the knowledge of it, searched it on the internet and um, tried to develop my understanding of it. And and what what books really helped you with that? I'm not not mine. I'm just I'm I'm looking for other things. Well, I've your, had... yours yours sort of summed them up very concisely. It was very after I'd done the reading, almost I had all this information, and then I came across your books maybe a bit later on in my readings, and then they sort of pushed it all together into one concise little piece of information. Um, but mainly it was just uh, different websites, um, and then work from Marx. So I read a bit of old mark stuff which is quite chunky to get through and difficult to get through which also isn't actually that useful um he says that it takes a lot of words to say a very small point right um, which is basically how writers make their money um, right. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah it, it was just sort of a s- slow development of my understanding um but all my, all the books that i've read on value they always touch upon at the start to a greater or lesser extent that's fascinating because, you know, you're 21 and I wasn't exposed to these ideas until a bit later. Uh, it, it, I didn't get any of that in economics. We didn't. Did you study Austrian economics in your courses? No, I haven't. The, the economics is more, the economics I study is more very sort of uh, overarching. It's not very specific. So I haven't really looked into like the economics of like Karl Menger or, um, anything like that in specific specifically other than in this project right it's probably more you're probably learning more macro like maybe keynesian yeah. monetarism yeah. and that yeah, type and of then, thing and then the other side of it game theory and the micro level um so yeah right. it's more it's more broad rather than specific in-depth stuff right yeah i, I got the same type of education and i, I kind of had to find these guys on my own you know, you, you, you run across Hayek or Menger and then you get into Mises mm. and, and all of that. And it does kind of take you down to a, another path, but I think it gives you a clearer view of how the world works. But uh, we've only got a, a, a few minutes here, Tom, but let me also ask you, you, you can't separate pricing from what a company measures because it's an integral part of the business mm. model and it's something most people don't understand. When you change a business model you must change two things, your pricing and what you measure. And if you only do one or the other, you're not changing the business model. You end up with the old behaviors. What got you to study the timesheet? Well, it's the timesheet is what stops the escape to a different method of pricing because timesheets, you're constantly measuring the time that goes into it. And then because you're measuring what goes into it by time, you think, oh, well, this is my inputs. Therefore, I should be paid for my inputs. Um, and that just, it completely stops the development of any other type of pricing. Because it's such, it, it goes all the way, like, it's seen as just this little thing, but it has roots all the way through the business model. And it's almost inescapable unless you completely take out all the roots and replant everything. That's, that's a great way to put it because even when people argue that they're not using it for pricing, I got news for them. 
they are. And that's yeah, why crews don't want to get rid of them. They were devised to do cost plus pricing. That's their origin. And that you and they can't escape their their roots, like you said. So you got to rip mm. them out root and branch. But um and and that went over really well uh in the report. I know you haven't talked about it specifically, but there was no outcry about Oh, geez, he's attacking the timesheet in this thing. Well, there's widespread just distaste at the timesheet, but no one really knows what to do with it because it is this endemic problem. It's everywhere. It's almost seen as inescapable. Um, and so it seems from the research, the next step seemed to be how can we now move? Like we, It's been shown that this is the right way to do it or the way we're doing it is wrong. How do we now escape this? And that's the next steps, which I believe that looking at, taking um but obviously it's a very slow process anything um in a business that size takes a long time um a lot of administration and there will be a lot of naysayers right yeah there there will be and it's usually the people that bill bill the most that that uh you know do do most of the naysaying as they say the tailless dog praises taillessness (laughs) absolutely Uh, well, Todd, this is great, and I, I just knew that this is just going to fly by, but Ed's got even more questions for you. And in the meantime, folks, if you want to contact Ed or myself, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Check out our full show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are on with Tom Hall. Tom, you said you're in your third year at uh, the University of Bristol, is that correct? And that's that's the the equivalent of... 
the final year. That says like a, what we would call a senior over here, which yeah. is it used to be the fourth year, but now it's usually the fifth or sixth year. We're getting a little bit slow over here in the oh. states, and yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. There's a lot of four-year the, courses in the UK. Yeah, mine's only three years. <clears throat> okay, yeah. There's there's a a, a a funny song by Downtown Julie Brown who who says that it because I'm blonde and one of the lines is I'm a, I'm a freshman in my fourth year at UCLA. So it's a <laughs> 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 but <laughs> we didn't talk about come here to talk about uh, song lyrics. I wanted to ask you about the, the, the origins of this report from a process standpoint. What, what, how, how did you get started? What was the, the, your process for, for writing it and, and, and what's happening with it now? You said it's being, it was, is reviewed, but and it's going to be a, you're going to have a meeting about it, but what's, what's been that process? Um, so it started with the, getting a general understanding of uh, pricing and value and timesheets. So for about four weeks, I just, so the, it was, the contract was 30 hours a week. Um, so for the first four weeks, all I was doing was reading, trying to get as much information, trying to bring, like take in all this information um, because I've never really looked at anything like this in depth before. So that, those first four weeks were just spent in the library and in my room reading the recommended books to me and, uh, luckily, I've got a number. Had a number of books bought for me by the university that I could get through. Because otherwise, I'd have been spending uh, spending a lot of money on these um, educational books, which often have steep price tags um, because of the amount of time that's gone into them. Funnily enough, um, so the first four weeks, all it was was this um, information gathering process, and so I could understand the basics of uh, everything about value and pricing. Um, so that was me from July to August. And then from August to the end of August, the middle of September, I was then lucky enough to work inside the firm and have access to their information. So their information on pricing, their information on uh, customers. Um, so they, they had a number of um, customer reports, which I went through um, from end of year reports, saying, asking how the business is, how their uh, relationship's going. Uh, and that was really insightful because then I could – give them specific examples as to why like that the customers were saying things and they weren't listening, especially about pricing. Um, and they talked about often with the, uh, Oh, I can't remember what it's called now. The system where the NPS score, um, which was used by the uh, firm, they looked at, they were very, very good. Um, especially with the top tier clients, the clients loved the firm widely nine tens on the MPS score. So very much promoters, but the only, every single one, the pricing was slightly lower, whether it be a six a five a seven. And it seemed to be just ignored that no one's going to be happy with pricing, but the patterns were there to see. It was all about it, quite literally a quote was, we don't care about the hourly pricing. We care about the overall figure. And then, so for me to combine this literal examples with the theory, it made it very easy to, produce a report and just steadily gain a logical pro progression through it to show them why they should consider moving away from this uh, method of pricing. And so th did you get a chance to talk to the, the, some of the team members at the firm and, and what their thoughts were on the billable hour, the timesheet and, and even just their jobs, that kind of stuff? Yeah, I did. Um, so I, was, I sat in a number of meetings, team meetings, and often I was introduced and just at the end of the meeting, I'd say what the report was about and often would ask their general thoughts on it. 
And it would immediately break into heated debate over whether it could be changed, whether it should be changed. And this will happen in five minutes and end up with people shouting at each other um, <laughs> because people feel quite often it's everyone wants to move away from it. But there's a number of people who think it can't be done or it shouldn't be done for the good of the business. And it's just a pipe dream. Um, so being able to speak to workers who go through this process every day and because I've never filled in a timesheet in my life, going explain, explaining to me the process of filling in a timesheet was vital to my understanding because I wouldn't, I tried to fill it in myself whilst I was working there. I tried to see what it was like to fill in the timesheet for the week. And it took me a huge amount of time. Um, and then I was just laughing as I was doing it and then gave up halfway through the week for the amount of time it was taking me. <laughs> you mean you went through three, three years of university and, and you were successful without a timesheet and filling one out? It's, it's not possible. <laughs> no, it's unheard of, isn't it? Um, and, and actually, I think that's one of the best examples that, that uh, I've ever heard Ron share. And, and that is this, this notion that we get through, we get through our college education. None of us fills out a timesheet yet. We all know what's expected of us. We all seem to be able to pass the courses and yeah. make stuff happen and get the results that we expect to achieve. And there was no timesheet there. And then the first thing that you're told as a, a first year a person in the accounting industry is in, you will now track every six minutes of your day. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. So I was only paid for 30 hours a week on this project. So it's my hourly wage times the 30 hours, but I logged a lot more as in I, I completed a lot more hours on this because I didn't see it as I was being paid by the hour. I just saw it as being paid for 30 hours a week. So 30 hours times my salary. So I didn't see it as that. And then because I wanted it to produce a good report because I was interested on it, the hours didn't matter to me. So, it was just, I was happy to put in extra hours because I thought this is going to be good for me and I'm enjoying it. So again, I was paid by the hour, which is quite ironic, but <laughs> I, I didn't ever think about it as that. And it wasn't necessary. It was only, it was only because it was, a, it was the method of paying individuals who went through this program. Yeah. And that's why, why it's so ubiquitous, especially for things like just, just labor. And the, the, the fact is, is that in many cases, we, we don't want your 30 hours. We want the report at the end of however much time it takes you to do this. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking for 30 hours a week. And if you were able to do it in 15, it wouldn't have mattered as long as the report was good. Absolutely. And no one would be able to tell. I'd be able to, if it was good enough, no one would be able to tell whether it took 15 or 30 hours. But at the end of the day, it's the report you're paying for. It's the report that you really desire. And why should you not put that effort in if you think it's going to benefit the people who are receiving it? as well as benefiting myself through the learning process of it. And so you mentioned the, the people screaming at one another. I had this, now this vision of, of the, the <laughs> scenes that I've seen in, in parliament, right? <laughs> With people going at one another. Uh, <laughs> not quite that bad. Not quite that, not quite that. Well, that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to play in my mind when I think about this. But what I wanted to ask is, did you notice anything, uh, any characteristics of the people who tended to be more getting rid of the timesheet than those who were against it was there is there any way that you could perhaps group them together in your in your mind um there was definitely a factor of youth and the amount of time they'd been in the job especially it wasn't more it was more the rather than the old people being specifically anti it it was more the younger uh, workers being open to it a bit, bit more they were it was clear that all of them because they hadn't really heard of it before they'd 
most of them hadn't really considered it before, or they might have heard of it in passing, value pricing, this abstract theory, um, but not never really given it consideration because it's not their job to give it consideration. Um, but I could see from just talking to the younger workers, younger uh, employees, that they were a lot more like, oh, yeah, that, that probably would make sense. Whereas some of the older um, employees were a bit more, well, this is the way it's always been done. There's a reason why it's been done this way. They didn't know the reason. And there wasn't, there isn't a specific reason. It's just, well, it's just, it's too big to change. It's everywhere. The clients are happy. It's the way it's been always been done. And we're running a successful business. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, definitely the younger employees who were more open to it. And especially because they hadn't filled out timesheets for that long and clearly didn't like it. Sure. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it has to do with that. What is uh, neuroplasticity, right? Our ability as we get older, our, our brains just, just tend to harden and get fixed in one way. And yeah, you know, it's, it's harder, it's harder to think differently and Hey, yes, we've mm. always done it this way. Although it hasn't always been done this, 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 this way. And when you get into the, the research of the history of it, it, it didn't happen this way forever. So yeah, it's, no. it's, it's pretty interesting. No, but it's, it's, uh, I think one of the important things as well was getting across to people the importance of value in their jobs because it's never really stressed to them. They do this job, they focus on the inputs. And then, but as you get higher up in the company, you communicate with clients more. This uh, theory of value, it's never really stressed to individuals. It's just sort of assumed and that, oh yeah, they'll work it out eventually. But if people are ta taught about it and taught to think about the customer first, I think it would greatly benefit businesses from what well, everything in the knowledge economy. Um, doesn't matter what you're doing, as long as you're putting the customer first or whoever you're trying to convince first, that's the best place to start from. Um, and that lack of emphasis on it is was quite shocking to me um, because I was quite surprised. It seems such a simple theory, such a simple uh, piece of advice and very easy to take on board. Yes, yeah, so, and one of the things, and I don't know if you've come across this in, in Ron's work or or the stuff that you've seen for, for me, but I, I have this 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 thing that I do occasionally called the nuclear option, where I ask the people in the audience that I'm speaking at if they've ever filled out a timesheet and have them raise their hands. Yeah, and then and then and then I ask the next question, which is, have you ever not exactly put on the timesheet what really actually happened? Mm -hmm. and leave your hands up. And I close my eyes and kind of joke about it and say, I'm not looking, <laughs> knowing that every hand is still up in the room. Yeah. And then I usually quip something about, well, we really need an ethics class. <laughs> <laughs> but the, 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 the point is, is that often, and then I'll say, and it's, it's oftentimes not that they're putting too many hours, they're putting too few, meaning it took them, say, six hours to do something, but they'll put two or three because if I put six, my boss is going to think I'm an idiot. Yeah. Well, I know if I, if I was in that situation, I would do exactly the same thing. I know that I would just, I want to impress people. So I, I know if I was put in a situation of time sheeting, I think I took too long on something. I know that I would screw myself in a way by taking down the amount of hours, which doesn't help anything. And I know that the amount of people that would do that, especially as, uh, young employees trying to impress you might give less of a crap when you get older but I, I, I know myself personally that I would definitely do that and it's just encouraged by the system which yep. is wrong well in a sense you did do it because you you said yourself yep. that you it took more than 30 hours per week on this but yep. it didn't matter to you what you wanted to do is god forbid learn something <laughs> <laughs> 
So, well, it's nice being pretty, paid to learn something rather than paying the, that's, money to learn this, something. This is this is true too. And uh, what we are already against our half hour break. Want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an in, an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Want to remind you about the Patreon site, patreon.com slash TSOE, where you can sign up for commercial-free episodes of The Soul of Enterprise, as well as our bonus episodes and materials that we produce from time to time. But right now, a word from one of our sponsors. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Tom Hall from the UK, and he has just finished a report on the billable hour and the timesheet for a large uh, UK accounting firm. It's a top ten accounting firm, so this is uh, this is good progress uh, that we're making. We're finally getting into the uh, the larger firms uh, with these ideas. And Tom, it just struck me you know, as you and Ed were talking, and we were talking in the first segment about the timesheet, and you were saying that you know they're they're not very well liked, but people see them as a necessary evil and they can't see a way around it. Just, you know, I love the Oscar Wilde line. He has no enemies, but is intensely disliked by his friends. <laughs> <laughs> and and that, that's the timesheet. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> but in the email that you sent to Ed and I, and you kind of outlined the report, you, you, you asked us what I anticipate to be an issue is convincing those who have worked in the industry their whole lives and using, you know, cost plus pricing and timesheets. Why should they listen to a 20 year old, 21 year old? Do you have any advice regarding this and what methods arguments you have found to be the most convincing? So we'll answer that. But before we do, I'd love to know what you think now, since you have studied it, since you did come to this with a fresh perspective, what are your thoughts on that very issue now? 
Well, as time went on, after I initially chatted to you, I thought about it more and more and thought about where I wanted this report to go. And it was, I sort of came full circle and realised to convince people of this, I have to think about their point of view and their standpoint and their pain points and what particularly this could solve um, and why it was an issue um, and almost showing them that it is an issue and they are hurting um, and then showing them that this is the answer. So I thought about the limiting income potential and um, just from the business side of things, less the people side of things, more you can improve this in a number of ways very easily. Um, and then it was just applying that, the theory of value and the subjective theory of value, thinking with them first, where, where are they coming from, their point, their point of view. It was so helpful to me and it made it a lot easier. I could go through all my report and think, well, who's going to be reading this? I've convinced myself writing this, but I'm not the one who needs convincing. These are the people that need convincing and this is their standpoint now and where do I want them to be? Um, so definitely everything that self-interest, anything that benefits them or showing them the issues that this is causing. Um, and then the most important thing was why it's not needed. Um, that I ended up doing a massive section on that, which I had to cut down massively because I just rambled on and on, um, <laughs> about how it's not necessary. And there's this assumption that it is, and then trying to give example after example, just to show that, um, yeah, that's basically what my came my my conclusion for it. How so I got tried, to the answer. Tried to put yourself in their shoes, their pain points, and and, yeah. and you say this in the email that you wrote to us, but the the technology obviously is having a significant impact, and I think that's one of the things that yeah, is, massively. Yeah, it, it is creating a somewhat of a burning platform for these firms because they're starting to realize, hey, what used to take us 10 hours is now taking us one with AI or bots or whatever. And mm -hmm. if, if our business model says we sell time, we're in, we're in big trouble. And, and Tom, I have to say, you know, we've been doing this for a long time and I've seen more movement because of that force than I have mm. because of the I hate the term, but the war for talent, you know, the competition for the best talent. Yeah. I thought that would be a bigger driver. And it turns out the technology is actually driving. And now even the bigger firms in, into this is, do, do you feel the same way about that? Absolutely. I, um, the, the, my final section of the report was on the, it was I titled it the firm of the future and did a big section on technology and mainly using the ACAA report from 2016 or 2017, I think, which highlighted the impact of technology and how softer skills are going to be emphasized and why there needs to be a movement away from just providing these inputs and thinking more about what the customer wants and the softer skills sort of almost like a, a doctor consulting the customer, understanding what their issues are that can't be solved by AI and giving them the answers um, rather than actually doing the inputs, just giving them the answers and providing the medicine for the, for their particular problems. You know, about a, a while back we've had, we had three Australian uh, colleagues on their lawyers down in Australia and Australia writes a lot, at least in the legal profession about the link between depression, mental health problems, even suicide, divorce, alcoholism, uh, and other addictions and 
the billable hour hamster wheel. Did you run across any of that research when you were doing the report? Is any of that included in the report? Uh, it's not. I did come across bits bits of it, but I didn't really feel it was uh, good to push on that because some of the research I thought was a little bit not unfounded, but it's difficult to put that into a report that of this sort of um, with the background of this report, it was business side of things rather than individuals. But it is a very convincing argument, but I didn't think it was necessary to put it into this report, even if it might have been. I just thought it was a little bit, a little bit too, um, too personal maybe um, mm-hmm. for this. Um, yeah, I was just a bit unsure about putting it in, but it definitely would convince people. Um, right. I, I don't. I didn't do enough work on it either. It it certainly could be another pain point, <laughs> mm. at, at least for for some people. After thinking about your question, it it's really hard. I think people come to this in their own way for their own reasons. Some, when you say uh, the billable hour limits your income, that really resonates, and I've seen people move off of it just because of that. Why would I want a model that limits my income? Uh, other people move to it for other reasons. Some experiment with it, figure out, hey, this changes the dynamics of the customer relationship. It strengthens the relationship. Uh, it, and it's really hard to know which of the arguments that you assembled in your report are going to resonate with any one person. And that's why we've tried to attack it from all different angles. I mean, we've got the four defenses of the timesheet and mm. pricing and project management. And, we, and we've taken it out from every angle. But now we can point to a lot of empirical evidence in McKinsey and company, Bain and company don't use timesheets anymore. They got rid of them. And they got rid of them not only because they're really smart people who understand all the defects, but also they have to attract talent and hire and keep good people as best they can. And it just it it doesn't it doesn't work with a timesheet model. But now when we point to to Bain and McKinsey in the accounting world and use them as examples, the accountants will say, yeah, but they're consultants. That's different. Mm. <laughs> well, I, it's just, it's so clear that accountancy is going exactly the same way. And it's so obvious to everyone except for accountants that it's going this way and something needs to change. But it's also quite easy to say from the outside, shouting in that something needs to change, whereas... They're inside. I know we're fine. We're fine. The building's on fire at the bottom, but that's 50 floors away. (laughs) Tom, just on the report, how big is it? Roughly, Uh, When I finished it, it was about 11,000 words. Um, And I think it's about the same, maybe a little bit more now. Um, But might because I haven't seen the word count of the finalized report that was submitted. But when I, when I, uh, when I completed it, it was about 11,000. Okay, so it's not, so it's not massive, but it's, it's there. <laughs> sure. Sure. It's a, it's a white paper size type report. Yeah. What, do you think they'll go public with it or not? I would hope so, but I'm not sure because unless if they do, if they make a change based on, based upon it, I think they will. Um, and then they'll be they'll hopefully try and get some sort of 
publicity about it or that sort of thing. But at this point, I'm not sure. I, I, I need to see what they say in the uh, meeting when we uh, meet them in the coming weeks or months. Um, I, would, I really hope so because I really think it's important and I, I hope they put it out to the employees within the company as well because only people knew about the report, but no one had, like, obviously it's quite a big company. There's a number of people who um, won't have heard much about it or have given much thought to it. But my hope is that at least it goes amongst the people within the company so they can start thinking about it and just promote some sort of change, even from person to person. Excellent. Well, that that's just fascinating that you got involved in it. And it's so great because it just not just because it corroborates what what we preach here, but just because it's just another voice from another completely different perspective. Tom, in our last few minutes in this se- in this uh, segment, just wanted to ask you: You're about to graduate. What are you going to do? What do you want to do? Big scary question. That. Um... <laughs> I've been applying to uh, graduate schemes. I'm not sure if you have them in the US, I'd, I'd assume so. But um, So they're one-year, two-year schemes um, for out-of-university uh, leavers. Um, and they have – so I've been applying to all sorts of different companies from uh, banking to uh, civil service, basically trying to get one of them to say, yes, we'd love to have them, um, just for a bit of security because it is a big, scary world out there. And if I can go from – uh, one secure place to another secure place where I know I'll be. Uh, that makes life a lot less stressful for me rather than a lot of job hunting. Um, but that's uh, I'm, that's just a steady progression because it takes so long to do all these applications. I spend half my time learning at university and half my time doing these applications, constantly filling out cover letters um, from one thing to another, constantly thinking about why they should hire me. Um, and eventually you get very, very sick of thinking about yourself. <laughs> do, do you think you'll rely more on the economics education or the politics or both? I think economics for now, I think politics is something that I'd love to go more into in the future. But I, so I, I, I don't think I'd ever try and be an elected official or anything like that. I'm more, I'd be far more happy behind the scenes sort of thinking about how, I could make a difference, but I would hate to be an elected official. That would put far too much pressure on me. I'd love, uh, much prefer to be behind the scenes. Um, but interestingly enough, my politics dissertation, which is another 10,000-word report, I'm completing on um, value in politics and whether it's an underused um, technique uh, for public services. Mm. Well, that's um, interesting. Yeah, because it's it's a different angle to come at it. And I thought, I've got this bulk of information now in my head. I might as well put it to good use. I have to ask you, since you must, you must follow politics, you must be somewhat of a political junkie to major in it. Yeah. That, uh, so you must have loved Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister. Well, Yes Minister was a little bit before my time. I've watched episodes, but the thick of it, I'm not sure if you've um, heard of it in America, but the thick of it is the political satire that I watched. But Yes Minister also used to make me, uh, I've watched quite a few episodes of it and it does make me laugh. It is very, um, it's just very clever. All the well, political satire you, I like. 
I, I love it because you talked about you know, how, how you rather be in the background. And of course, it, mm. his aides in the background, they controlled him. It's like, well, yeah. when does it matter what the <laughs> prime minister wants? It was, I forget the <laughs> actor, but a phenomenal actor that played his lead yeah. aide. It was just, it, I just loved that show. And oddly enough, it was Margaret Thatcher's favorite show too. So, <laughs> Well, but Tom, he's been doing something right. Well, Tom, Ed's going to take you home, but I just wanted to say thank you so much. You, you reached out to us. You sent us this great email. We just wanted to get you on to talk about this report. It's so cool that you were able to do this and contribute to uh, this literature, and hopefully uh, you know, we can move the profession off, off of some of these archaic practices. So thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. And folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can do so at asktsoe at verisage.com. We'd love it. We'd love it if you went out to iTunes, gave us a review, good, bad, or indifferent. If you write something, we'll read it on the air, give you a shout out. We uh, really appreciate that. It helps. It's uh, the currency of the show. It helps us get great guests. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back with Tom Hall, and we're talking about all things value pricing, the report that he produced for the firm that he did some work with over the this past summer on value pricing and the timesheet, but Tom also has an interest in politics and is, is uh, what we would call a, a double major here in the States. I wanted to ask you a little bit about some, some questions about politics, Tom, and during the break you said you were willing to do that. So mm-hmm. what are, what are your, your thoughts as a young person and looking on, on what's happening with Brexit? Not necessarily your, your feelings on it, although you're free to, 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 to let me know how you feel, but what, what's happening right now with this, uh, the, the, the turmoil that's happened in, in, in Britain because of it? 
Um, well, to start with, I was uh, a month too young to vote in the Brexit referendum. Um, but if I had at the time, I definitely would have voted Remain. Um, but my reasons for that are quite unclear at the time. I just thought, well, it's the thing to do, vote Remain. And I had quite a negative view of Leavers and people who voted Leave. And that was basically completely unfounded. Um, but since then, it's been absolute chaos. Nothing's getting done other than talking about this um, flip-flopping, going from thing to thing. I think I've definitely got Brexit fatigue, and I know it's the numbers rising throughout the UK. Um, I just want an answer now. And with this upcoming election in, on the 12th of December as well, it's just going to be another step in the wrong direction, I think. Um, I'd just like to get on with important things again now because I feel like it's been going on so long that the... Um, the power of it, the potency of Brexit is now slowly fading, which I'm very grateful for. And I just want to get back to politics where differences are being made to individual lives. There, there, as a libertarian, though, there is one advantage of, of a distracting issue like this, and that is they can't do any more damage in other places. So that's the way that's the way I mm. kind of look at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it, it, it is interesting to, to, to as a as an outsider looking in. I, I what I can't fathom is is there's there's even talk of an, another referendum on it, which mm. it, you know that that just seems bizarre to me. Like, do you do a referendum? Oh, well, we didn't like the result, so let's do another yeah. one. <laughs> you know? Well, the basis, well, the issue with the there shouldn't have been a referendum to begin with. It's a massively complex issue, and to put it to a people's vote where the people don't have all the information and the information can be twisted one way or another on both sides. It was a silly decision from David Cameron in 2016 um, or 2015 in an attempt to win the election, which he did, but resigned shortly after the Brexit uh, result. Um, and to put it to another one, I think would just cause chaos. I'm, I'm, I now believe that if another, if it went to another people's vote, if there was another referendum, there's no, the, there'd be riots of sorts. Um, people would complain about the lack of democracy, how, and it's a slippery, slippery slope, I think. And I think to ask for another vote, yes, there are reasons for it. And I understand them all, how people didn't know the full extent of the information. I just think this bad decision was made early on and we have to reap the, reap the consequences. Um, and if, if we have another referendum, why should anyone listen to it? Um, which I'm surprised I thought this because a year ago I wouldn't have thought this. Um, but interested in how opinions develop. And of course, we have something similar in the U.S. And that is, while the 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 impending impeachment of of Donald Trump uh, mm. has really caught the imagination, I, I can distinctly remember there there was talk of impeachment of Donald Trump before he was even sworn in as president. So, to 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 to, to some extent, we're we're experiencing, I think, the same thing. This this slow burn on impeachment and people are like, it's, it's be, in the U S it's become, it's enough already. What, you know, what, yeah. either do it or don't, but let, let, let's just stop talking about it. Yeah. What's the perception do you think, especially among your peers, among young folks mm. on, on what's going on in the United States? Is this something you guys even pay attention to or, you know, is, is the latest football game really the most more important thing? <laughs> we definitely pay attention to it amongst my, my friends, because um, it's always it's always news. Donald Trump is every single day that he's done something, he said something, and whilst I think he's a bit of a, I don't like him, but he's 
I think personally, I think he's going to win the 2020 election. He's the economy's doing well. He, uh, the ISIS leader got shot. He's he is winning despite all the shouts from on social media, especially. And I am I'm, I am left wing, and but I'm definitely more central than uh, most left wing um, individuals at the minute. Um, but I just think that as much the, the shouting at him, the impeachment inquiries, they're just they're, they're doing him a favour. They're just helping him gain more and more support. Yeah, I do think it's interesting. One of the things that I've I've thought for quite some time is that he he has hacked the media. He's he's they and and I, Ron has said this often. He's not a creation of the media since he he was already famous long before he decided to run for president. So mm. since they didn't create him, they really can't take him out. But yeah. one of the be- the best books that I've read on the subject is by Scott Adams, the guy who wrote Dilbert and. He he just said that Donald Trump has wep- his his phrase and I love it is weapons grade persuasive ability, and it's not Absolutely. that he's it's it's not that he's right it's not it's not that he he's right on on so he's right on some things of course we're all we're all right mm-hmm. on some things but but it's just that he the, his methodology is just just hack the media and people just get tired of of the of them slamming him even when it might be justified. Yeah, absolutely. And that's exactly the same thing with Brexit, with um, the whole thing about Ramona's and just that this is exactly the same thing. They mirror one another, both in the US and the UK. Exactly the same political sentiment going through the country. Yeah. So we're still we're still more tied than than we thought, you know, despite what happened 225 years ago. I one of the things I have (laughs) said, though, is 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 if if uh, if we could come back as as the as the colonies again the 50 colonies would would you give us the same tax deal that we had back then which i think was a whopping three percent three percent i think we might be willing to to come on back if you, yeah. if you'll have us at three percent the union the union again <laughs> <laughs> so but uh, well, it's been fascinating talking to you, Tom. Any any uh, party thoughts? We got about a, a minute left. Uh, we want to thank you for being on the show. But um, uh, th- your, well, your thoughts? Just thank you for having me, and um, just for having the. I, I, I really didn't went for my first email. I really didn't expect a response from you or on. I thought you're a very busy individual. So even to get that first response, and then what's developed from that has been great. And uh, I'm just really grateful to be able to talk about this and talk about this to two people who know probably more than anyone else currently on this sort of issue. Well, we thank you and we'd love to continue to keep in, in touch with you and, and maybe we'll have you on as in, in the future when you, you get your next gig. So we'll, Definitely. And looking, looking to a great future too. Um, Ron, what do we got coming up next week? Next, next week, Ed, we're doing live from Cleveland, Ohio, and it's a pre-record we did earlier this week, and with uh, Reginald Lee was also there, so it was a great conversation. Enjoyed it. Yep, look forward to it. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours. Welcome. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, <laughs> business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday. 
when we have a conversation with Dr. Reginald Lee. But in the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. <laughs>